either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Some major Oscar buzz, a big disappointment, and more this week. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And we are from MadWolf.com. Why don't we start on a high note with the Oscar contender? At least that's the buzz right now. A young boy and his working class family experienced the tumultuous late 1960s in Belfast. Mama says if we went across the water, they wouldn't understand the way we talk. If they can't understand you, and they're not listening. You know who you are, don't you? Your buddy from Belfast, where everybody knows you. Hey, buddy! Your mom's calling you <laughs> Get to see me, it's just ours. We're getting killed. We can give these boys a better chance than we ever had. Troubles. The Troubles. And it's not really just any young boy. It's basically based on the young life of Kenneth Branagh, who's the writer-director here. Not acting in this, which I think is a smart move. But uh, he has, if, if people don't know, he's directed a lot of films. Yes. And really a wide variety of films as, as well. He's done some superheroes, and he's done uh, some Agatha Christie's, which actually both of those are referenced in this movie. And a lot of Shakespeare. A lot of Shakespeare. Yeah. But... Uh, this is looking back at his own life uh, growing up in the 1960s, late 1960s, where this is set in Belfast, Northern Ireland, right when the clashes, the, the violent clashes between the Protestants and Catholics were breaking out right outside his door. Right. And that's how a lot of this is set. And uh, even though the young boy is not named Kenneth in this, it's, it's named Buddy, it's still a very semi-autobiographical. And it's just a wonderful job to take what sounds like a very serious subject and it is to frame it from the point of view of a nine-year-old boy and somehow come out of it with a a sense of 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 wonder and and wistfulness to to have the audience to have us think about our own upbringing Uh, it's it's a wonderful job and i think his best job as a director i agree with you you just start with even the opening shots it's so meticulously crafted, it is. beautifully filmed, and it, and it opens in color, and then you, you the camera kind of scales this wall that's got a mural on it, and all of a sudden, which is modern Belfast, and you get to the top of the wall, and you're looking over down this, down this alley, down this street, and it's black and white, beautiful, sparkling black and white, 1969, and you're mm-hmm. going gonna, gonna to just swoop right into Buddy's childhood. And that opening segment, the way the camera moves, it's yeah. very swooping. It, yes. it, it like takes you along. You're on a ride, and it helps to draw you into the setting, the time and the place. I agree. It looks, it looks fantastic. In a different way, it reminded me of the Wes Anderson films, especially Wes Anderson's uh, latest film, The French Dispatch. Everything looks just so intentional like he just must have agonized over every frame of the movie 
not to the it doesn't look like a Wes Anderson. Not film. at all. It's not colorful. No, it's no, not, not at all. It's not artificial. But, but it's yeah. It's, the fact that it's so so uh, you come back to that word meticulously put together and it looks fantastic. The cinematography is great. The framing. I think sometimes he uses a little forced perspective as well. Uh, everything is just visually glorious. Absolutely. And it just tells a wonderful story, and it's all led by this incredible newcomer. Where do they find, where do these filmmakers keep finding these incredibly talented kids? Because I know. you and I both were reminded of the young boy that uh, starred in Jojo Rabbit, who came out of nowhere. So great. And was great. And actually, the ki- the friend in Jojo Rabbit was great, too. Well, Kenneth Branagh has his own find here. His name is Jude Hill, nine-year-old kid that plays Buddy, and he's fantastic. So good. He's so good. And you know what, though? And and he leads the whole thing. I mean, he really, it's his perspective, and he's in nearly every scene, but the whole cast around him is, is remarkable as well. So you start with the, the grandparents, who are both amazing, of <laughs> course, and it's such a lovely, it's such a lovely pair, the, the grandparents, and it's Judy Dench and Siren Hines, who are always amazing. They're great. And then Buddy's parents are played by, I think, you know, I think maybe the biggest surprise is Jamie Jim, Dornan. Yeah, as as his father, who has not been what we would call, has not been giving really strong performances that I've seen yet. Not that he's been embarrassing, but it not... I mean, obviously, so the Fifty Shades of Grey franchise, yeah, not our favorites. Not and our I have favorites. to say, of all the bad things I can say about it, I thought he he's terrible in those. I, yeah. I'm going to get, people are going to be unhappy with that. He's very attractive. But the I just think his terrible per- as well. And his performances are very... Yeah. Not good. But I've seen him in several things since then that I think he's fine, but he's never really impressed. Now, right. his, his performance here is tender and bittersweet and lyrical. It fits perfectly into the atmosphere that Brana is developing. It's a lovely performance. The mom, however, uh, she's really, she's the chef's kiss. Yeah, Katriana Balfi, if I pronounced that correctly. I knew her right away, her face from she played um, Christian Bale's wife in... Ford versus Ferrari. Right. Uh, that's where I knew her from, so if she's familiar there. But she is fantastic. I think she's award-worthy, uh, possibly. Agreed. I expect this movie to, to be in the running for a slew of awards, but yeah. I think she could be for a Best Supporting Actress. But directing, I think he's very worthy of some recognition on the c- cinematography as well. But the way that he makes this such a, a, a wondrous, yes, nostalgic, hopeful, and, and joyous movie that in looking back at his own life makes you think about yours, I think. Because, yes, the brush is broad yes, at times. It is. Yes, it's precious, as you pointed yes, out. it is. But I, I think for me and I think for you, too, it worked. Yeah, you know, it's unabashedly sentimental and nostalgic. But one of the reasons that it does work is because it, it takes the perspective of a child, but not really. He's looking back at his own childhood through the eyes he's trying to recall of his own youth. So... One of the things that works so magically with the film is the way that it just blends the reality, which he is not fully comprehending because he's a child, of this strife in his neighborhood with the movies that he sees. And so his dad becomes sort of a, you know, a Western hero to him, you know, and with the music that he's listening to and and how happy were you? Almost every song in the score is a Van Morrison song. Yeah, natch, naturally. (laughs) Yeah. Great Van Morrison songs in this and great use of them. I think there is one, and you hear it in the trailer, they use uh, Carl Carlton's um, hit Everlasting Love. But I think er- almost everything else is a Van yeah. Morrison yeah. song. Yeah, love that. Yeah, you're right. The mood that it sets. And I was also really nice to see that it's only an hour and a half long. Because when I first heard about it, 
I thought, okay, is this going to be a three-hour epic? No. And it's great because it doesn't belabor the points, and you're left wanting more than thinking that there was too much there. So all in all, a, a fantastic job mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and a really enjoyable film that, uh, yeah, I think it is earning its Oscar buzz, and it is out in theaters only. Yes. Correct? Theaters only right now. And it is another one to see on the big screen because it gorgeous. looks glorious. God, it's such a beautiful Glorious, movie. and that is Belfast. Move on to Netflix next. An Interpol agent tracks the world's most wanted art thief in red notice. Looking for something specific or just browsing? You're under arrest. Oh, my God. Read the room. Girls will keep the secret. You want to arrest me? So long, boys, make a noise. Arrest me. Help me catch her, and I will help you. Teamwork. Hello, boys. How's it going with your partner in crime? We're work wives. We're not work wives. We're sister wives. We're not any kind of wives. We both know that this whole thing is going to end with you in handcuffs. Promises. Promises. Well, here's the disappointment, because I think we've said on a few occasions, heist movie? (laughs) <laughs> Where heist movies are fun. Yes. They just are. I hear about a heist movie. Ooh, okay. And the cast. You've got three very charismatic, fun A-listers. You've got Gal Gadot. You've got Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Ryan Reynolds. Yep. I mean, come on. It almost seems like it would be fun watching them do just about anything. So how this went so wrong is sort of a mystery. And it goes wrong early. It does. Um, not even a half an hour in, you're like, oh. Oh, this isn't fun at all. And uh, the red notice is the highest level arrest warrant issued by Interpol. And uh, Dwayne, The Rock Johnson, he is uh, an FBI agent, and he is on the trail of the number one art thief, number one most wanted art thief in the world, the mysterious Bishop, played by Gal Gadot. And to get to her, he first gets to the number two most wanted art thief in the world, played by Ryan Reynolds, and then makes him a deal, if you'll help me get number one, then you can move on up to number one. So that's that's where the cat and mouse game begins. It's a globe-trotting adventure. It's a lot of double crosses. It's some fake-outs. It's a lot of wardrobe changes. Yeah. Which I know we, we nitpick on this, but a guy like Dwayne Johnson... Can't, you can't just pick stuff up off can. the rack wherever you go. So when you suddenly find yourself on a safari... Where did he get that form-fitting safari suit? Oh, what about the tuxedo? The tuxedo. You know, they're on the lamb. It's not like they've got some organization uh, supplying them with clothes, right. but he's just got this perfectly tailored tuxedo so that he can... It's, what? It's just one of the things. And then the, the heist comes into play because they're trying to reunite these three legendary bejeweled eggs that Mark Antony gave to Cleopatra on their wedding back in the day, which, by the way, is totally made up. Okay, None of, none of that is real, but that, that's okay. Uh, so they're trying to steal these and reunite all three eggs, and who can get it first, and who really knows where the third egg is, I don't know. This is writer and director Rawson Marshall Thurber, who's done. He did Dodgeball. He did We're the Millers, and he's going to do the upcoming We're the Millers 2. And he worked, uh, he's worked with The Rock on Central Intelligence and Skyscraper. Uh, and this one, I think, is his low point. It, it very quickly, to me, I wasn't sure what they were doing. Are they trying to 
launch a brand new franchise, or are you riffing on movies like this? It's caught in the middle, and it's very awkward. Yeah, you said it in your review. It it almost feels like a spoof, but it's certainly not funny enough to be a spoof. And it's funny, one of the things that makes you think that it is is the number of times that it references other films. Mm -hmm. But aside from the obvious Indiana Jones reference later, once they're sort of deep in a jungle, right? You know, there's, there's a lot of cribbing from Hitman's wife's bodyguard. Yeah. That's not high on the Ryan Reynolds movie list of movies that you should be stealing from. You know, and they also steal from from uh, Hobbs and Shaw, which is fine. And, of course, there's the masquerade party dance sequence from Wonder Woman. But I'm thinking to myself, but none of these are heist movies. Why are you not stealing from heist movies? And the funny thing is about the Hitman's wife's bodyguard, that was just so recent. And Ryan Reynolds' shtick in that movie is almost the same shtick he's got here. Oh, my and, God, yes. And I know that movie wasn't a huge hit, but it was just so recent. And that is a movie that, even though it's far from great, it makes a lot better use of being dumb fun than this does. This right. is just dumb. It is just dumb. Ryan Reynolds, he really, Ryan Reynolds does what he can. He truly does in different scenes to just Ryan Reynolds it up, right? He's just got these wry, weird line deliveries. But there's nothing that can salvage this. No. It's just dumb. There's, and strangely, it's, like, it's like if you took Ocean's Eleven and just made it dumb. And I didn't, <laughs> I didn't feel any chemistry among any no, of these three, which no. is really weird because they all three are so charismatic and so likable. It yeah. just felt all felt forced. And there's really one, we laughed out loud at one segment, one bit, where uh, The Rock and Ryan Reynolds were arguing about Jurassic Park. That was funny. That was it. And then you get Ed Sheeran, who shows up to play himself and fight FBI agents. That was kind of funny. Yeah. Other than that, this is just a major, major disappointment. And I was excited for it because, yes, I love a heist movie, Mm -hmm. and this cast looked great, but big disappointment for Red Notice on Netflix. Next is a film that follows the unexpected reunion of two high school friends whose renewed acquaintance ignites a mutual obsession that threatens both of their carefully constructed realities. This is passing. Your life is perfect. Have you ever thought of what you'd do if John found out? I'd do what I want more than anything right now. I'd come up here to live with you. think they'd be satisfied being white. Who's satisfied being anything? We're all of us passing for something or other. Aren't we? This is another one on Netflix, and it's the debut, feature debut of filmmaker Rebecca Hall, who has been impressive for years as an actress. Well, now she's the uh, writer and uh, adapting a novel. Uh, and she's also the director here, and a great debut as a filmmaker. Unbelievably assured debut as a filmmaker. And this is another black-and-white film that may very well find itself with a, a cinematography nomination because it, oh, man, it's beautiful. You know, and there are, it, it, it almost has like a snow globe look about it, like you're inside a snow globe. It's so beautiful, and it's set in 1920s New York, uh, during the Harlem Renaissance, which is where most of this takes place, is so, so beautiful to watch. And it's an interesting choice. I was not entirely certain for a long time why Rebecca Hall would have chosen Nella Larson's novel to adapt for her first film, because it's a film about two women uh, who, one, as for her whole life, including her, her marriage, she, she passes as white. 
her husband believes she's white. She has a daughter who's being raised as white. She they believe that that she is white. And her best friend from high school, that's Ruth Nega. And her best friend from high school is is played by Tessa Thompson. And they run into each other because in search of the perfect birthday gift for her son, Tessa Thompson goes well outside of her neighborhood to go shopping where she probably wouldn't normally be accepted. And so she's wearing gloves and she's got her hat, her very fashionable hat pulled down a little bit. And she's kind of testing the waters, but you can tell she's very nervous that she's going to be found out that she is as as she goes and and has an iced tea in this very posh hotel restaurant. And that's where she runs into her friend who just this is her whole life. So it's, it's an interesting way to spark it off. It's an interesting story. And again, I wasn't sure why Rebecca Hall decided that she was going to make this film. It turns out that Rebecca Hall's grandfather was a black man who passed for his whole life as a white man. So I guess it was a way for her to just examine that. Yeah. And there's that incredible moment in the film where uh, Ruth Negga's husband, played by Alexander Skarsgård, says that, no, he doesn't dislike black people. He hates them. Yeah. Oh, Oh, yeah. That line just lands. And then I look at her face and you look at Tessa Thompson's face and oh. Yeah, it's it's really incredibly done for a a delicate subject yes. to tell it correctly. Yeah, and well, and you know, uh, Rebecca Hall gets tremendous assist from these two performers who are incredibly talented, who are great in everything oh, yes. they do. Yes, and I would be surprised. I would expect one or both of them to get Oscar nominations. I think Ruth Nega is a is a, a shoe in. She's amazing. She really, she just brings a sort of a damaged survivor's spirit that she imbues in this in this character is really, really fascinating. You can't take your eyes off of her. Tessa Thompson is the one who really owns the film, though. I mean, she's in nearly yeah. every scene, and she's the one with the arc that you follow. Mm-hmm. And um, and I read this book when I was in college. I loved the book. I'd never heard of it before. I thought it was massively I- impressive. And I was excited to get a chance to see the cinematic version, and boy, I wasn't disappointed. Because, I- again, it's just gorgeous. Yeah, and of course, anytime you can use something like this to to comment on how it still rings true today is uh, is very important. Yeah, and this is on Netflix right now. Recommendation, passing. Next up is a horror mystery. A young woman's ghost investigates the mysterious events that led to her own murder. This is called Double Walker. I had this dream once. There were two dark figures. One of them told me if I went with them, I could live one last day, make my amends, and then I'd be gone. The other told me if I went with them, I could live forever, but I would never be seen, not by anyone except believers and and sinners. I chose the latter. Well, this one has a bit of a, a lot of a local angle for us, since we are based in Columbus, Ohio. This was filmed here in Columbus, so we recognize a lot of landmarks. Uh, and also the filmmakers, the director and the co-writer and star, they were all, all from here. And I think they may not still live here, but they're from here. Yeah, Colin West directs and co-writes, and he is from Columbus, although he is he has been in L.A. for about a decade, I think he said. Uh, Sylvie Mix is the co-writer and star, and she's from here. I believe she is still based here. Mm, good. And um, and she looks cold. <laughs> she does. <laughs> she does. Uh, it's, it's set in the wintertime. Snow is falling, and she often isn't wearing much. 
uh, if anything at all, sometimes. So, yeah, we actually got to talk to them and interview them about the film, and she mentioned that in one scene, she actually blacked out from the cold. Yeah. Um, if you're not familiar, it does get cold here. Yes. It gets very cold. But this is a very interesting, moody movie because it takes um, the story of the Christmas ghost. In fact, they use a bit of an adaptation on TV of the Scrooge of A Christmas Carol and talking mm-hmm. about Christmas ghosts. And then they have their own Christmas ghost story to tell about these interconnected lives and how the ghost drifts through and uh, connects and is involved with their different lives. And then in the end, you find out how these lives are all connected, uh, which is I thought was a very effective ending. And it was a really interesting, well-done movie. It really was. And it is one of those, it's it's a film that puts, I think, atmosphere and mood above plot, which is not to say that it sells the plot short. It doesn't. But it really does create a mood. Yeah, it does. A hypnotic, you know, in, in, in that sense. And uh, and I felt like her performance was, I mean, it was wonderful. There, She doesn't have a lot of dialogue. It's very still. She haunts the film. That's mm-hmm. what she does. Yeah. And for that reason, I think there are a couple of moments where she, she smiles or she laughs, and it's really... I think particularly heartbreaking. Yeah. And the woman who plays her mother, which is in fact the actress's mother, Maka Carter, the two of them have such a great chemistry together and they have several very, very heartbreaking yes. scenes that uh, dialogue free. Right, dialogue free. Bring yeah. a lot of power, I think, to the film. It is a powerful film. Yeah, it is. And very atmospheric. Mm-hmm. And it, it reminded me in some ways of the film A Ghost Story. Sure. Which. We both love so, Mm -hmm. so much. That one is also very moody and very light on dialogue with the ghost drifting in and out. And uh, this one is a little more bloody. This is more of an actual horror horror film. film. There's not a whole lot of blood. No, there's not. But uh, but there is a little bit. And it's it's fascinating to watch. And I think well done. And I'll certainly be looking... In the future, about the what uh, what these two do, Colin West and Sylvie Mix. But this is available now on VOD, and it's a good one for this time of year especially, and it's called Double Walker. Well, if you're missing Shark Week, we got one for you. A fun-filled flight to a remote atoll turns into a nightmare for five passengers when their seaplane is destroyed in a freak accident. And they're trapped on a raft 100 miles from shore with man-eating sharks lurking beneath the surface. What kind of sharks? Great white. We're in the current. By morning, we'll be 75 k from here. Get him, Adair? Not sure. What about the rescue boat? The current is running east. We use it to get to the coast. You're kidding. You got a better idea? So do you think it's gone? It's still out there. That's close. Everyone get out of the water! This is new on Shudder, and I give it credit right from the beginning because these are not genetically modified sharks. They don't have lasers on their heads. Uh, They don't come up with some new weather term to get the sharks involved. It's just people in the water, sharks in the water, are sharks. (laughs) That was coming. (laughs) So props there. Not to say that by the time it's done, the disbelief is not suspended greatly. It is. But um, I give it a little bit of credit for that. But it's you can only do so much. I mean, it's a shark movie. Maybe the only way to make them memorable now is to come up with some new Sharknado or Sharkicane or something. (laughs) 
but you know it tries. It's got a couple of good performances at the lead. You've got Katrina Bowden, who we always love because she was the 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 woman in uh, Tucker and Dale versus Evil, and then Aaron Jakubenko, and they are a couple in Australia running this charter seaplane business, but it's struggling a little bit, and so they get they get this last minute call that they uh, are all too happy to take to transport a couple to Hell's Reef for a day trip. But the main the main mission is uh, the woman, Michelle, played by Kimi Sakakashi. She wants to spread her grandfather's ashes uh, around in the waters there, and she's got her douchebag husband with her, <laughs> played by Tim Cano. And this guy, this character is so bad. He's such an asshole that you... <laughs> Well, it's they just poured on so thick. You're like, okay, he's going to get eaten. Sure. The only question is, how bad is it going to be, and how how satisfying is it going <laughs> to is it going to feel to watch this guy get eaten? So, <laughs> you got the one couple that feels real. You got some authenticity there, some decent performances. Seems like a real couple. The other couple, not so much. Anyway, and then you've got a cook who's who's involved there, who wants to uh, make them a, a nice meal on the uh, island when they get once they get there. But it all goes wrong because this accident, and they're all five in this raft, and then the sharks are coming. And, you know, I, I made the Jaws reference, but that only seems appropriate because this film makes them too. And oh, sure. especially, it really apes one classic scene from Jaws. And uh, is it shameless? It's pretty darn close. <laughs> it really is. But it's a shark movie, and it, it, it looks decent. I also I did like, though, and I'll give director uh, Martin Wilson credit. He does a lot of these shots that are just on the water line. So as the water moves up and down, oops, you see them above the water. Oh, and you see what's lurking beneath. And that's kind of cool because you can see the prey and the predator at the same time, even though the uh, prey can't can't see them, just is fearing them. So there are ways that he finds to amp up the tension, but once we get down to it, the shark wrangling is, of course, ridiculous. But if you, if you love the shark movies, this is a shark movie. <laughs> and uh, there are certainly worse. There are certainly worse, but there are uh, better as well. And that is Great White on Shudder Now. Next is a film that knows it can be brutal enough just growing up a girl. Then add poverty, addiction, and God to the mix. Armed with a gun and a prayer, Emma and her cat bravely go where too many girls have gone before. It's a war. And we got to win it. This is called Small Time. Dear Lord, help us to ward off the devil, for he is real. And show us your face, Lord. For we will not forget it once we have seen it. Amen. Amen. Christy Robb reviewed this for us. It's by writer-director Nayef Conti. And uh, one of the things the filmmaker did was to film over three years to give the lead the chance to age yeah. as the character ages. Very nice. We saw how effective that was in Boyhood, yes. which, of course, was over 12 years. But uh, I love it because, of course, that's going to add some authenticity. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it's a, it's a fraught film. You spend the whole time on the edge of your seat as this little girl wanders and her cat wanders through just a maze of what, realistically faces little girls who don't who aren't really looked after Mm -hmm. you know her she's got you know well-meaning but addicted or or you know it's it's you really are you're worried the whole time and it's um it's not an easy movie to watch but it is a really good movie yeah she she gave it a big recommendation and a a good review as well so check that out christy rob wrote it for us at madwolf.com and this is available now on vod it's called small time
Next is a sci-fi thriller. A mother joins an underground band of vigilantes to try to rescue her daughter from a state-run institution. This is Night Raiders. The Academy want to start the war again and now force our kids onto the front lines of it. I'm going to find her again on the other side. As long as we have one piece of land, they will always come for us. Is it too late? No, but we have to go now. Brandon Thomas reviewed this one for us. It is another great one. It's another one that you really should seek out because what it does is take some pretty well-worn sci-fi ideas, but it uses that, right, sort of futuristic ideas that you are used to to revisit the actual history Mm -hmm. of Canada and not only Canada um, where um, indigenous peoples are separated from their family and re-educated so there is a again as you said in the last film there's a level of authenticity here that makes the movie so much more unnerving and powerful yeah this is a four-star review from Brandon Thomas so you can find that at madwolf.com and it's available also on VOD a good one Night Raiders And one more horror thriller, a fractured family are forced to face their demons metaphorically and literally as they unwittingly become embroiled in a man's attempt to prove the existence of the supernatural in order to overturn a friend's murder conviction. This is called Lair. One, two, three. Anything supernatural happens, I'll record it. Did you hear that? Something happened in that house. We have to get out of here, all of us! You brought that thing into my house! This one's out on VOD now. It's from writer and director Adam Ethan Crow. The review was written by Rachel Willis at MadWolf.com, and she is not a fan. No, you know, and I think part of the problem is that there's a lot going for this film, but it doesn't really make the most of any of what it has. So you've got this family, and they're trying to, a blended family who is trying to sort of figure out their roles as family members, and they move into an apartment building, and the the man who runs the apartment building keeps hiding possessed artifacts. Yeah. Demonic artifacts in their apartment and then watching to see what happens. Okay, that's a weird idea. One of the problems with the film is that it doesn't make anything sinister out of the fact that this man is also watching this house full of women in their most intimate and vulnerable yeah, moments. Especially because you have one, you have one same-sex couple, yeah. and then he's watching that on the screen. Yeah. You're like, oh, okay, that's that's a lurid part of it. That's a creepy part of it. But no, and then he gets keeps going in there and putting these... Haunted was he just has a, a stash of haunted items. <laughs> yeah, it's a strange combination of events, and it just the film doesn't tie it together or mine. I think the areas that, as an audience, you're saying, "Well, let's look into that," you yeah. know. And and in the end, it, as much as it did have some things going for it, it just doesn't pull it off. Right, I think there's an interesting premise in there somewhere, uh, but yeah, it doesn't pull it off. And you can check out Rachel's full review at MadWolf.com, and that is for Lair out now on VOD. Well, we can go to the lobby. Well, we could, but nobody's there. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) 
uh, get some snacks, I guess. Schlocketeer taking the week off, so he'll be back next week with uh, even more updates on uh, studio releases and delays and things like that. But uh, until then, we look ahead to next week. And, uh, oh, couple of biggies. King Richard, which actually we've already seen, and we'll talk about that next week. Sexiest Man Alive, Paul Rudd. Sexiest Man Alive. Ghostbusters he Afterlife. He said he's going to get business cards made, and <laughs> I, I would like one. Yeah, Ghostbusters Afterlife. I don't I don't know. I'll tell you my expect, expectations right now, because I didn't love the trailer as much as everybody else, mm. but we will see. I'm, I'm still excited, though. Looking forward to seeing it. So uh, End of Blindness is out next week as well. Ankle Biters. <laughs> Ankle Biters. I like that. Oh, here's another good title. Rumper Butts. Right, yeah. Anchor, that's, they should combine those. <laughs> Ankle biters and rumple butts. <laughs> Zeros and ones. Hide and seek. Killing of Kenneth Chamberlain. And also a documentary called Vonnegut, as in Kurt, Unstuck in Time. So that's all next week. Might be some other things pop up. If so, we'll get to them. In the meantime, let us know what you thought about uh, anything out there this week. Did you love Red Notice? All right, we can talk about that. Or Belfast or anything else that you might have been seeing either this week or the last few weeks. We always love to keep the conversation going. You can find us easily on Twitter. We're at MadWolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Also on Facebook and Instagram, it is at MadWolfColumbus. And by the way, if you love, we just we just got a new feature we're going to add to our Facebook page <laughs> at MadWolfColumbus. We have got a, what are we calling her, our Christmas cheese correspondent? I think Christmas cheese ball. That's, Christmas when, you put, cheese ball. that's when you put cheese balls out. Okay, we've got our friend Courtney who loves all these Christmas dramas that come out every year. And there is a ton. It's insane how many. And she is covering them all for us, and she is ranking them on a great scale. She's got guy hotness and, <laughs> and cheesiness and Christmas carols and everything like that. So I love her, uh, her little capsule reviews. We're going to start adding them. To the Facebook page at Mad Wolf Columbus. So a lot going on. We hope you keep in touch. We hope you're having a great start to the holiday season. And until next week, she is Hope Mad. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. <laughs> <laughs>